1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Dr. Amelia Kelly about the symptom similarities between ADHD and narcissism and how to distinguish abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A everyone. Today with us we have Dr. Amelia Kelly. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I am doing well. And for those that do not know you, you are a trauma informed therapist with a doctorate of philosophy in psychology from Capella University along with a master's in art therapy and Counseling from Nazareth College of Rochester. You are a trained hypnotherapist, art therapist, HSP therapist, EMDR informed therapist, and meditation and yoga teacher. You are a presenter and writer in the science help field focusing on relationships, highly sensitive persons, trauma, trauma. Motivation, Healthy Living, and Adult ADHD, and you are the co-author of What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. And today, we are going to discuss ADHD versus narcissism as our main topic. And the reason why I wanted to discuss this was we did a recent survivor story episode where the person who was telling their story dated someone, or I forget if they dated or they were in a relationship, married with someone who had ADHD. And for a lot of people, it was very confusing in the sense of where does ADHD begin and where does abuse or narcissism start? Or, or where does begin and ADHD begin and end, and where does narcissism and abuse start? And also, on my TikTok, and with TikTok, you know, you're doing these really quick videos. And you're, you know, the way you do them to get people to view them, it's under like a specific way. I'm not a big fan of doing it. I'm not on there as much as I was originally because I'm just... Anyway, I'm not a huge fan, and a lot of people were getting on my case in the comments that I am describing ADHD the whole entire time, and they don't have anything nice to say to me about that. So, you know, these things are in your wheelhouse here. So let's start off by, I guess, really giving a a hard definition of ADHD and then a hard definition of narcissism
0: okay so a hard definition of adhd and it's going to depend if someone is inattentive versus hyperactive so i'll just kind of try to categorize them one and the other um with folks who are inattentive they're going to have a hard time with task completion they're going to struggle with attending to any sort of task that demands a great deal of attention or time um for instance maybe not big readers for instance um Frequently losing things, uh, have a hard time focusing in a conversation, which I have a feeling we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, And other things such as you might see this play out in the way that they do or don't have the ability to succeed at certain goals in life. Um, Those are going to be some of the more inattentive traits that you could see in ADHD and you mind, mind you, I do say ADHD, it's all categorized as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in the newest diagnostic manual. However, you have the subtype of inattentive versus hyperactive. Inattentive is going to be what you're probably going to see a bit more in adults um, because by the time someone with ADHD grows into adulthood, they have established quite a few coping mechanisms or rules that help kind of narrow in some of the more hyperactive behaviors. Hyperactivity classically was seen more in adolescents and juveniles, but it is still present in adults. The hyperactive is going to be fidgeting, constant interruption in conversations, um, feeling like you're on the go all the time, a flight of thoughts that just kind of are uncontrollable and not necessarily in an anxiety type of thinking pattern, but just tangents all over the place. Um, In children, you'll see things like constantly getting out of their seats, climbing on things. For adults, you might see like the the person in the Zoom meeting who who can't stay and keeps getting up and going and doing something and coming back. Um, One other thing, both with inattentive and hyperactive, if you see someone ping-ponging around the house, not completing tasks, That's probably a bit of a combined type presentation between the two. Um, And the most important thing to note here, this is not just behavioral. This is neurological. This is the way that their brain processes dopamine. It is most classically a dopamine deficiency disorder, an issue with transferring from one side to the other. So it's a neurodiversity. And I just described all the things that can be really tough with having ADHD, but this may or may not be the episode where we explore some of the really great strengths that people have as well, but they do exist, certainly.
1: And can it be on a spectrum where some people have a mm-hmm. uh, things to a lesser degree, and can some people have something to an extreme, mm-hmm. and, and if, if so, how different does that look? And, and and what is the quality difference of their lives?
0: Okay. There's certainly going to be a bell curve for all humans. We're not a one-size-fits-all species. So you can have someone who, who actually has a hard time sustaining a job because of their ADHD, uh, who even could go so far as applying for disability because of it, because they're form of ADHD is so severe. Oftentimes, this is, I would say, classically something that they probably struggled with even in their childhood, as opposed to an ADHD that might have developed a little bit later in life. Um, But that's just anecdotal. That's not um, a fact right there. But it's kind of more common. Um, As far as ADHD goes, I find a big difference, especially because I work with quite a few people who have ADHD in my practice. I find a big difference between my folks that I work with who use specific coping mechanisms that affect their dopamine versus those who don't. So, for instance, I have one guy I can think of who is an avid runner, and because he's constantly using this as uh, essentially a medicine for himself, his traits and his um, symptoms aren't quite as severe. As per se, a client I have who is medicating with alcohol, which is not going to help the uh, neurological aspect of ADHD. So you can also see a difference in presentation based on lifestyle.
1: And as far as symptoms go Mm -hmm. of ADHD, which ones are the ones where those people on TikTok are getting mad at me? (laughs) <laughs> um where they might mimic something mm-hmm. from a disorder or specifically from a narcissistic point of of view, and uh, I assume that one of them would be in some cases anger
0: mm. irritability
1: irritability and it, mm-hmm. so can you explain the things that might overlap before we even get to? The defining narcissism um, and the difference between irritability and anger uh, at the end of that Another day is here and you're ready for it What to wear? Check Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. So irritability, when it comes to someone who has ADHD, oftentimes can have a lot to do with stimulation and whether they can handle or modulate their stress levels in certain stimulation situations. Um, I will say also on a side note, if someone is medicated, if they're taking a stimulant to help increase their focus, which that can be a little confusing for folks. Why would you further stimulate someone who has an issue with stimulation? Um, There have been studies, one specifically comes to my mind, where they actually took students, to, and forgive me, I don't remember the uh, university that did the study, but it's really neat. They took um, students and they put them on these chairs. One was stationary, one swiveled, and they had them perform math computations. Of those four groups, we've got the ADHD group, uh, fidget, no fidget, non-ADHD group, fidget, no fidget. Of those, the one that performed the best is non-ADHD, no fidget. So the people people who are neurotypical can attend to something and not feel irritable, as you were saying, when doing something that's stressful. The next best-performing group was actually ADHD fidgeters. So when they get more stimulation, they can attend better. So translate that into a relationship or social dynamic where it could become aggravating or overwhelming for a relationship, put pressure on a relationship if someone's constantly having to stimulate themselves. And this can come out sideways, um, whether it be substance abuse, whether it be hyperspending. But now I'm kind of trickling into bipolar. We're not going there today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing to notice. A lot of these have um, the the term comorbid, where you have one disorder that kind of overlaps on the other. A lot of them, a lot of these disorders are going to have similar traits, but ADHD and narcissism have a lot of overlap.
1: So I guess define first so let's define right now uh, narcissism and you know the disorder and then let's discuss the overlap. Sure. Okay.
0: Okay. And let me just put this out there that with narcissism, there is a grand amount of ways to describe narcissism. So I'm going to fine tune it so we can have it be palatable for today. Um, The two that I do want to notate though is grandiose versus insecure. And the reason is, is that that can play out in our conversation we have with about ADHD. So, Grandiose narcissists are going to be folks that we might most typically think of as narcissists who are have exaggerated sense of self, who want to be ultra celebrated, who believe that, you know, they are the gift to the world, and everyone else is the one at fault for different issues. Uh, this is actually called kind of like an ego syntonic personality where you think everyone around you is the is the problem, as opposed to you. Um there are some public figures I can think of who would classify as this, but I won't mention them in this moment. Um, you know, just kind of these really exaggerated sense of self. And they usually come off very charismatic. Um, and that's why they can tend to be highly convincing and get what they want at times until they get into deep, personal, intimate relationships. Now, insecure narcissists, these are, I think, a little bit trickier to de- detect. Um, Reason being is that they often will feel very insecure about themselves. They think that everyone's out to get them, but not in the same way. They actually think that they're not worth as much as everyone else. And they can get into a victim cycle with people, uh, especially close relationships, and they take everything personally. Um, But because they're not displaying this kind of greater inflated sense of themselves, it can sometimes be a little bit tricky to detect those folks. Now, the reason that these exist, I will just kind of piggyback on that. Narcissism is not a neurological disorder, like I was saying with um, ADHD. It is a personality disorder that develops from trauma. It develops from experiences. And so for that reason, which we'll probably talk about when we talk about the overlap, there is a big difference in how they're treated, how they're detected.
1: So now that we have our definitions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you discussed that one word where I can never say it properly, which is comor. I can-
0: Comorbid.
1: Cormo Cormo. I can never say it.
0: I tried
1: to. D- I've been trying to do this for like three years. Say that word properly, and I can never. <laughs> Do it. Co- like when
0: I try to get my daughter to say gift certificate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Comorbidity. No.
0: You know the word morbid.
1: Yeah. Comorbidity.
0: Comorbidity. Now you're making me mess up. Uh-
1: <laughs>
0: you. <laughs> you're breaking it down too slow. All right, but
1: everyone knows what I mean. I just can yes. never. I just can never say it. It's one of those words I cannot okay. say. It.
0: It's it's uh, it's endearing.
1: <laughs> so, at this point, we have both of our definitions, and now, what are all the traits that overlap?
0: Okay. So, and we. I almost feel like we can bullet point this one out. There's so many, um, and I can see why. And I just want to validate your listeners that it can be really tricky telling between the two, and it can be really frustrating to feel like if someone has ADHD, there's almost this level of you want to empathize for them and help them and, and get them what they deserve to be better and feel better. And then if it's someone who is presenting with narcissism, you have to figure out how to protect yourself. So it's a very different Kind of internal experience between the two, so I'm just validating that for listeners.
1: Oh, well, that's where the caretaker comes in and gets in, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. The people mm-hmm. pleaser and the caretaker, because they come in possibly thinking it's this one thing, and when the abuse starts, they're still caretaking because their still first thought is, well, they have a dis, they, not well, they have ADHD. I shouldn't. You know, I don't want to victimize every anyone, and this person deserves the benefit of the doubt here. You know, th- this is something they're born with. Everyone deserves to be loved, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. you're in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. So with with that validating that, especially um, there is a very there. I think there is a very specific thing to start with. the The verses can't and won't. Okay, so someone with ADHD can't attend to certain conversations because they're overstimulated by either environment or their own tape they have running in their head over and over. Whereas a narcissist won't attend because either they're too self-important or there's too many other things that they want to pay attention to in their life. And this is going to be a theme through the entire comparison between the two. Um, another thing has to do with blame. So someone with ADHD is going to be much more likely to take blame. If anything, they have what's called a failure schema, where they constantly feel like they're going to fail and that actually prevents them from achieving certain things in their life. And they are over, over apologizers they will perpetually apologize almost to the point where it becomes kind of white noise, unfortunately, um, because they feel not many, many um, folks with ADHD will feel like, well, I just, I can't get to this place on time. I can't do this. I can't do that. Whereas someone with narcissism, as we know, struggles a whole lot more with those genuine apologies um, because they just, don't believe that they are the one to blame or that it's their fault, that whatever's going on is going on. So that's a couple. Um, another thing too, is going to be about stimulation. You remember I was saying stimulation can be very distracting for folks with ADHD. It also can be for a narcissist, but in a different way. Um, so for instance, uh, a conversation, I'm going to use that as an example again. If you're having a conversation with someone with ADHD and You know the the stimulation in their environment. The noise blocks them, and they either they're too embarrassed to apologize, or they are they are in fact apologizing for not being present. That's because of the can't that I spoke about before. The won't. You could literally, with a narcissist, be talking to them, and all of a sudden they're grabbing their phone and they're looking down, and they're kind of they're just they just couldn't be bothered. They couldn't be bothered to attend to this conversation. Now, I'm sure you have at least one listener who just says, well, people with ADHD pick up their their phones all the time because it's hyper stimulating. And that's where this gets really tricky, where it's really about what is the intention behind the behaviors versus just the behaviors. And that's where it gets very difficult to discern one between the other.
1: And we'll get back to how to discern the behavior later on. Don't worry, everyone. Everything will come full circle. We might take a little winding little road to get there, but we'll all bring it back at the end. We promise. I promise. Dr. Amelia Kelly promises too. So let's first continue on this list of overlapping behaviors.
0: Another one that I would definitely highlight would be how they are treated so if as I mentioned earlier if you have ADHD you are going to be most often if you go psychotropic meaning a like a psychological medication psychiatric med, those folks are going to be put on some sort of stimulatory to help them deal with their symptoms because it is a medical mental health disorder it is something that could exist just purely because of genetics However, as I was mentioning, narcissism is not a mental health disorder that originates from any sort of genetics. In fact, and I don't necessarily agree with this statement that I'm going to say, but I have heard it. It used to be on the axis in our diagnostic criteria that was considered untreatable. Now, that's a really risky thing to say. I'm not saying that narcissism can't be helped or attended, but it is a lot more difficult to completely rewire a personality versus teach skills and provide medical intervention for something that's dealing with neurological issues. Um, So this is going to show up in when you confront someone with ADHD versus narcissism. If you come up to someone with ADHD and say you have ADHD, whether it be, you know, a loved one saying, I think you might have ADHD, you may find the person with ADHD be slightly defensive, but if they hear it from a medical professional, a lot of times it can be this aha moment, like, oh my gosh, I finally get it. I know why I've been struggling in school or at work. I know why I can't pay attention to my wife when she tells me to do ABCD, EFG. I'm thinking of all the things I tell my husband to do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, with that kind of situation, someone with ADHD is going to be kind of grateful for the realization. Whereas with narcissism, that's not going to be the case. Most often, if I see someone in my office with narcissism, they are not coming because they believe they're narcissistic. They're going to come because some other extraneous uh, mental health disorder or mental health issue or substance use issue or trauma. Um, And oftentimes those with narcissism sometimes do believe they have ADHD. But that often is not necessarily the case that they're not getting clinical diagnosis that that that's what they have. Um, Well, one other thing that is kind of interesting to mention is a certain form of narcissism that can come out that is not ADHD, but it can look similar. So someone with ADHD might interrupt a lot during a conversation because they are distracted or because they have that kind of hyperactive impulse feeling where they have to talk. And or quite a few folks with ADHD get nervous that they're going to forget what they want to say. So there's this kind of rush to get what you need to say out there on the contrast, though, with narcissism, there's this thing called conversational narcissists. Those who constantly will turn a conversation away from the person they're talking to into their own, whatever they need to say. Um, I can just say anecdotally, I have a visceral memory of this. Um, early 20s, broke up with a really long-term boyfriend. who's pretty serious. I go to work. I'm with my teen. My, my one friend mentioned, oh, you look kind of, kind of blue today. I don't know if she really said that, but something along those lines. And I looked at her, you know, tears in my eyes. And I said, you know, me and my boyfriend broke up. She literally looks at me and goes, oh my gosh, do you know what I had for dinner last night? It was so, it was so obscenely narcissistic in that moment. I, it was laughable. It was, I couldn't even fathom how I could look at someone and not show empathy in that moment. So that was a really, really good example of a conversational narcissist, but you can also have it come up quite often where they will just flip anything that you say they've done it or they've done something different or better. Um, there are ways to deal with that. If someone does engage in conversational narcissism, one is to remember you, the acceptance piece. You can't change them because if you try to, it's going to drive you crazy. Um, the other one is to set a limit. So in your mind, you literally can set a mental limit of how long you will let this person talk. And then at that point, you can then, this is going to sound a little bizarre, you can become a conversational narcissist where you take over. So just a little way to deal with how that can come out. That's a tricky one because it can look like someone who's impulsive and wants to interrupt with ADHD issues but it can also be someone who's just really not that interested in what you're saying. It doesn't take value in you that you deserve.
1: So these things that you've mentioned so far, mm-hmm. you know, one of, well, not one of there, there's, you know, distinctions, I guess in there that might be difficult for people to understand, which is what's the difference between, how do I identify the difference between can't and won't? How mm-hmm. do I know what someone's, intentions are how do i figure that out and you know that that might take possibly knowing the person for a long time and really figuring out their psychology to be like i know how this person thinks so when it comes first to like can't and won't how do you differentiate how do you get to the heart of what is can't what is won't
0: okay so as I was mentioning prior about how the apology piece, if someone is, and you know what, I will validate that it can feel similar. Like it can feel like, well, you know, you say you can't do this, but you were able to pay attention to this or why can't, you know, it's 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 tough. It can be really tough to, to be the recipient of that. Um, it can be very frustrating and invalidating. Um, so that being said, Someone who can't, you can actually see them first admitting that they have an issue, and then maybe even perhaps sharing about why it's an issue. I think those are two really important things. And if someone who's listening who has ADHD and is struggling in your relationship, it can be very helpful for you to share with your partner why you're having a hard time, why you can't do something. Keeping something that feels shameful and and letting it grow and not expressing it is going to make it harder for your partner to be able to choose and figure out what your intentions are, which it's, these two questions will blend a bit because understanding whether the person can't or won't will help you identify their intentions. Um, Another thing with can't, I think, you know, you're going to see it in all areas of life. That's actually something I didn't mention yet. So a narcissist is going to be able to be strategic about when some of their traits come out. You know, when they're around strangers, they're around people that they want to impress, they're going to put their best foot forward. But then when they're at home or when they are not feeling like the center of the universe, I mean, honestly, when children come into the picture a lot of times when they're not the center anymore and the child has to take precedence, that can come up a lot. The thing that's tricky about this is there's so much overlap. Like this this is such a blended topic between these two.
1: So, so just kind of getting back to intentions and differentiating yeah. things. Um, yeah. So what's other, what are other ways that um, I guess you can differentiate or figure out what intentions are?
0: Well, you know, there's even, you know, I would redirect it back to your own inner intuition. I think that when people experience abuse, unfortunately, different forms, especially the early stages of emotional abuse and control of power, I feel like our intuition starts to become quieter and there's not as much time and space to listen to it. And so if you're talking to your partner and you just get an unsafe feeling or an untrusting feeling when they're using this ADHD weapon, we'll, we'll say when they're weaponizing ADHD, um, listen to that. That's I think that's really important. The way that someone makes you feel a lot of times can express their intention. And we already talked about whether or not someone's willing to apologize. I think that's very important. If you notice your partner is an over-apologizer, um, that's probably more of a sign of an ADHD issue versus narcissistic personality. Um another thing with intention is, you know, watching their behavior so far as if they're really trying. With people with ADHD, you're going to get these spurts of achievement where you'll ask them, you know, can you just please be on time? <laughs> and so, you know, maybe for a week they really they really kill it. They're like getting out the door on time, they're ready to go. And then it slowly dwindles off because the hyper-stimulation of this new goal becomes less exciting and less noticeable. And so it'll taper off. That's usually going to be what ADHD looks like. It's these peaks and valleys of behavior versus with narcissism. I think it's going to be more like a vacuum. You know, you're, you're kind of trying to get this person to pay attention to you and make your, make you a priority and, uh, well, the the, con- pe- the
1: confusing part would be the tapering off might yeah. seem like, okay, the person love bombed me back. And mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, they did all these horrible things and now they want to kind of recover and make it look, you know, because abuse doesn't always happen in uh all the time so it might look like uh, i was just abused blah 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 and now i'm going to go love bomb this person and that love bomb might look like oh i'm going to go try and that trying might last a week and then they forget about trying so there's that aspect that could mimic the exact same thing which is Mm -hmm. the confusing part
0: I am really glad that you said that so that I can speak to that because it is really important to note that the behaviors of people with attention deficit disorder are most often not going to be directly dangerous to you. They are all often more self-harming.
1: So explain that.
0: So the things that happen for someone with ADHD are going to hurt their own goals, their own dreams, their own ability to maintain relationships. Uh, Folks with ADHD tend to, just statistically speaking, have more speeding tickets, uh, have a higher job loss rate, um, higher substance use disorder rate. So these are all very self-harming. They're not strategic and they're not in a method or a way in which to inflict harm on someone else. That's abuse. You know, inflicting harm purposely is abuse. And so yes, actually interesting, you probably will have a spike in positive behavior during the honeymoon phase of the abuse cycle. And then as, you know, that tapers off and tensions build again, that's, that's, that's something we're dealing with narcissism, personality disorder and abuse. Whereas ADHD can feel like a chronic infliction of pain on a relationship, but it's usually because of the stress it inflicts on the partner because of how stressful their ADHD partner's life is, and then it then impacts them negatively, not that the ADHD partner is trying to hurt them.
1: Which, you know, you brought this all back, and I thank you for for doing that. We can now bring up the word control. Ooh, okay. And... Mm-hmm. For people who are, you know, you might have been confused early on here with everything we were talking about, but we're bringing it now back to a very important word. And where someone who is an abuser Mm -hmm. and someone who has ADHD and intention and the word control, abusers need to control. Yeah. So um, what are controlling behaviors? And then with ADHD, I guess maybe are there, are, are there behaviors that might look like control or are there no controlling behaviors?
0: So I'll start with the second part of your question because I think it's important. The whole thing's important. But <laughs> um, one of the really interesting things that can happen with ADHD that might make it look a little controlling is that they – remember I said rules earlier on? they can start to establish rules to help them be successful. Um, And they might get a little bit hyper-focused on, you know, how their environment is or how their daily schedule goes because these things help them succeed. That really, in my professional opinion, is going to be the the sole place that you're going to see control when it comes to ADHD. I could also maybe see finances a little bit if maybe they've had a history of uh, spending, And they're trying to cut down on the spending. And so they get really stressed if their partner spends because they don't want to get back into old habits. So again, do you see the intention comes from trying to be a better person and trying to keep themselves from backsliding, trying to keep themselves from the harmful symptoms that the disorder has presented on their life? And so that's the intention behind why someone with ADHD might control certain things. Whereas someone who is an abuser is going to control, because if they don't have control, then without that power, they can't have the upper hand. They can't inflict harm. They can't have that grandiose sense of self. Without control, they have nothing. Without control, their partner will be gone and that's the last thing that they want. They want to hoover you back in. They want to bring you in as much as possible. And so their form of controlling, so let's take finances, for instance, it could be more so trying to prevent you from going out and spending money to spend time with friends because they don't want you to have other relationships. So they don't want you to spend money on making yourself feel beautiful because they're threatened by who you might attract. These are very different types of power of abuse with money versus someone who says, you know, we're really, you know, it's, Oh, there's like this anxiety of not wanting to fail when it comes to ADHD versus with someone who is an abuser. It's don't make me look bad. That's different.
1: Mm -hmm. So uh, what people don't know is that you actually are married to someone with ADHD. So when you got into your relationship with this person, were any of these things confusing for you of what was uh, ADHD and other things that were exhibiting? How did you kind of maneuver yourself around that? And how did your husband uh, feel about his own diagnosis and and what was your conversation around that?
0: I think that this whole journey and probably one of the reasons, I mean, we've been together for 14 years now, probably one of the reasons I started to really research and even focus my doctoral dissertation on ADHD is because I was trying to understand him. Um, And what I realized is it is a huge practice. I think even for the partner to understand, to not take things personally that, as we were saying before, that he can't help. Like, he's not going to remember everything I asked. He's not going to be the best planner. He's not always going to be on time. Like, these are just things that we've had to kind of figure out. What are my strengths? What are his strengths? But one of the biggest things that has been the saving grace is that through our whole relationship, he has always been willing to work on himself. Like, he's always been willing to say, I could be better. I need to try to be better. I want to be better for you. So even though what he does can be really hard on our relationship at times and frustrating, at the end of the day, getting back to that intention piece, I know his intention is he just, he wants to be the best husband he can be. He wants to be the best partner he can be, but sometimes he just can't.
1: So what does that work look like?
0: Therapy. exercise, meditation, um, supplements. But let me tell you, this took me, me (laughs) as his therapist, wife, years of encouragement. Come on, you know, this is going to help. This is going to help. I've noticed it almost, it's almost like this repeat track of reminding and encouraging and modeling. And then finally in his own time, at some point something clicks and he sticks with it but it can take a while for someone with ADHD to get enough of that reward feedback where they stick with something that's going to really work for them. Um, and, you know, medication, things like that. That's all, it's all part of the journey.
1: <laughs> so within that work, it takes for, in, in your experience of it, it takes a little bit of time uh, to get there. But if that person is doing the work, they eventually start doing that work every single day. And, you know, it's not something that comes and goes eventually. You're seeing that person work every day. And as far as them doing the work, you know, I assume you're able to see their frustration. Yeah. And their yes. own personal frustration with things not going well. In in that sense, where you're really understanding a struggle. And I say this in the sense of, and it has nothing to do with anything to do with ADHD, but people who listen to the show know that I I like my movies. And there's a movie called Shame. uh, And it stars Michael Fassbender. And it's a wonderful movie about a man who is a sex addict. And, you know... Most people don't understand what sex addiction, sex, addiction, sex addiction is or even where it comes from and how it must make the other person feel. Because all the person who's dating someone with sex addiction or mar- married with someone can only see them having sex with other people or needing this gratification. But within the movie, what the movie does so beautifully in Michael Fassbender, who is the actor in the movie, who... Not through words, but just through his face. Mm -hmm. You can... At the end of the movie, you see the addiction in his face. You can see how he is not having fun. That it is painful for him. And and at that point, I understood it. Because I saw the look on his face. I Mm -hmm. saw what was going on and what it actually caused him. And you could mm-hmm. see that, you know, all of those things. So I, even though it is a completely different subject and in, in what I brought up there, you know, I, is that a real big distinction? You know, I think maybe as you just kind of were going, yes, it is that like, There's a pain that you can see and a frustration in their trying in the effort. It's kind of like you're watching a child of your own who's like really trying at whatever school, but they're just not getting it. And you can see the frustration, but you know there's effort.
0: I think you just identified the whole point we were trying to make today. The whole point being that level of desire to be better, but just can't. Um, but, but just can, you know, to, to not to take empowerment away from folks with ADHD. There are ways to manage it and to empower yourself and have an awesome, excellent life with great relationships, but it's just more work. Um, and, you know, I think also to point out as far as the partnership goes, because um, we brought up caretaking before, it is my responsibility as the partner at some moment with ADHD to show empathy and patience, but it is not my job to caretake. It is his job to take care of himself, but it is my job not to take things personally if he's trying. So that's the distinction between that codependent caretaking where you forfeit your well-being versus loving empathy.
1: Well, Dr. Amelia Kelly, I had a great time.
0: Me too. This is fun. This was
1: a good time. And hopefully everyone has a little bit here cleared up because it is a very difficult thing to distinguish between. And hopefully we, we helped you here, or Dr. Kelly helped you here, with making distinctions, understanding intentions, understanding can'ts and won'ts, understanding what it is to do the work And, you know, what it is to be controlling and what it is to not be controlling and what it is to be a caretaker for others and what it is to be your own person and let the other person do what they're doing so you don't fall into a caretaking role, which abuse can then happen. And, you know, we discussed a lot of different things today, and I really want to thank you for for being here. So before we leave, where can everyone find you?
0: Well, the best way to find me is at my website at ameliakelly.com, and I always say Kelly with an U <laughs> I.
1: And tell us a bit about your book before we leave.
0: Great. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm a co-author, my co-author, Kendall Ann Combs. Um, with her, we wrote uh, What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. And it's a book that's coming out at a time where a lot of relationships are on the rocks from this pandemic. Um, And she herself is a survivor who had an incredible escape from a really dangerous relationship. And the book follows the beginning, middle and end of her relationship. Every single chapter is her telling a bit of her story and then me responding with my clinical recommendations and also, my responses to everything she went through. And then she finishes the chapter with what she knows now, and then we give the reader a chance to respond. So it's a really neat back and forth conversation, almost like you're inside of a counseling room with a therapist and a survivor.
1: Well, that is a really unique conversation. Uh, take on a survivor book, one that people have not really seen before, not that I know of. So, for everyone listening, you know, you've probably let, read a lot of survivor books. Uh, You'll read a lot of books on narcissistic personality disorder or just abuse in general. Here's a different take. So please uh, go take a listen uh, or or go read uh, Dr. Amelia Kelly's uh, book, which can be found on Amazon.
0: Amazon, Barnes Noble, Target.
1: And before we end off the show, for people that want to be uh, a guest on our Survivor Stories uh, shows which are out on Mondays or for some people on the West Coast, it could be out on Sundays. Please do go to narcissistapocalypse.com and at the top of the page there's a button that says guest form. You click on that button and then you'll read all of these instructions. Please do read the instructions and send us a, an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail dot com or fill out our guest form following those instructions to be a guest. I look forward to all of those stories being sent in. We need as many as we can, so please do send them in. And also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have a community support button at the top of the page. It says support group. That takes you to our very own safe social network. So if you want to have some support, you can have our forum boards on there. We have integrated Zoom support meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and Thursday afternoons, every other Thursday afternoon. We have ad-free episodes on there, we have bonus episodes on there, an amazing group of people are on there to support you today, and if you just want to support the show uh, and you don't even want any of that stuff, join our support group, so go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, press that support group button, and if you need any more support than that, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone because DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, and they can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And that is it for our show today. And once again, I want to thank Dr. Amelia Kelly for being a guest this week and sharing all of her insight and information and all of her knowledge. So a big thank you from, uh, for, to her. And now from myself and Dr. Amelia Kelly with an EY, we hope you have a good night.